All right, everybody, welcome to BO Boys for Monday, May 22nd. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. And Clayton, this was Fast X Weekend. The family is back together. So we had to get the box office family together, and you got to have him. He is the the Papa box office, the head of the table, the Vin Diesel of our family. Scott Mendelson is here today. Scott, thank you for joining us on the BO Boys. Oh, you're very welcome. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, Scott. And I know, oh. yeah, I know this is kind of a sad weekend, seeing as how we're all mourning the passing of Rick Dalton. So, I'm hoping oh, right. that, yeah, we can all just push through that and, you know, respect the king the way he should be respected, but also talk about the, the box office. Indirectly saved the counterculture hippie movement without Abs- even knowing it. Absolutely. Um, although, I mean, not to dwell on it, but but Scott, would you say he is more of a TV star than he ever was a true box office draw? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was mostly known for television work, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. so than movies, sort of a David Caruso of his day, if you will. Right, right. Um, you know, people like to make fun of David Caruso as a guy who struck out as a movie star, but then two years later or whatever, he goes on to CSI Miami, which turns out being for a while was like the most watched show in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made a lot of money from that show. He made a lot of money. Probably more than he would have made in movies. And and and, um, and Rick Dalton and did okay goofy, for himself. I'm sorry. And Rick Dalton did okay for himself as well. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. So um so Scott. Usually, this is the point in the show where Clayton gives us a plow of the top five. But since you're here, would you want to give us a a plow of what the top five was this weekend? I mean, I feel like our our listeners want to hear it straight from the the Papa box office. So, <laughs> uh, we're talking just domestic, just here, domestic obviously. this weekend. Yes. Yeah. Fast X was the number one film of the weekend, of course. With sixty-seven point five million dollars uh, in four thousand forty-six screens, um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three and Weekend Three dropped to second place, dropping a solid forty-eight percent for a thirty-one point nine eight million dollar weekend, uh, bringing its seventeen-day domestic total up to two hundred sixty-six point five million. In third place, the Super Mario Brothers movie, with $9.8 million, dropping just 22%, despite competition from Fast X, and despite being on PVOD as of this previous Tuesday. Once again, proving for the 8 billionth time in three years, PVOD can coexist without cannibalizing theatrical. Yes. Uh, that film has made two, excuse me, $549 million in North America, is the second biggest domestic grossing cartoon behind Incredibles 2, and globally it's at $1.47 billion, which puts it behind uh, just the uh, two Frozen films in terms of animated pictures. And no, I do not consider The Lion King to be an animated film because discourse notwithstanding, you're not, you know, you're supposed to believe your eyes and the way you believe your eyes for any special effects filled picture. Yes, preach. You know, it's it's supposed to look like a National Geographic documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, jokes aside, you know, nobody talks about, you know, nobody says that Avatar The Way of Water is an animated film, even yep. though obviously a yes. lot of the work in there is through quote-unquote computer animation. Yes. Um, speaking of heavily CGI pictures, Book Club, the next chapter, was in fourth <laughs> place with $3 million, dropping a nasty 55%. That is not great for a, 
an older skewing and female skewing picture. The idea is those are supposed to have legs because they are less frequent in the marketplace and those that want to see them see it on their own time. Um, 13.1 million after two week or 10 days in theaters, which is about on par with the first film's opening weekend. If I recall. Yeah. It's they're still um, not at that. I think it was 13.6 was the yeah, original book club. Which, opening weekend. Not a shock. It's one of those people like curious, the first time mm-hmm. films, um, the whole, they're reading 50 shades of gray and getting their libido back was a gimmick that obviously is not present in this picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to a certain extent, the demographic was slightly cannibalized by 80 for Brady earlier this year from Paramount, yes. which had, I think, a few of the same actresses. Yes, yes. Um, Definitely Jane Fonda. Anyway, yes. Um, Evil Dead Rise in fifth place, um, $2.375 million, minus 36%, $64 million domestic, $141 million worldwide. David Zasloff may be the devil himself, but he was right about theatrical before anyone else was. Yes, and and, and so on Evil on Dead, we do want to point out our intern, wannabe intern Christopher, wrote us to, to let us know that Evil Dead Rise has now outgrossed Shazam!, at the domestic box office. So it is now Warner Brothers highest. I think it may. Yes, it is up to, I think, 140 or so million worldwide, which is a real shame because I'll be, you know, the discourse notwithstanding, A, I thought Shazam was fine. Mm -hmm. B, had that film opened in non-COVID times? I mean, if that film had opened like two or three years after the first one, without all the crazy ass DC discourse, Mm -hmm. without all the streaming discourse, I think it would have been something approaching a breakout sequel mm-hmm. because people liked the first Shazam. It was popular in theaters. It was a solid hit. It was rediscovered uh, in theater, in, in video and DVD and all that jazz. And, but, you know, things being what they are, it sort of got overshadowed by the discourse. I'll throw this out to you, Scott. Is, and obviously this is fully a hypothetical Shazam opens in summer 2021, the summer that famously gave us Free Guy as a, you know, the savior of that year's box office. Shazam opens July 2021. Does it do considerably better than it did two months ago? I'll say this. It certainly doesn't do much worse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yes, I do think it does a little bit better. Now, if I'm wrong and, you know, if I'm wrong, then you can remove all the discourse, all the DC drama, all that stuff. And it's an example of a film that where the first film was a four quadrant gotta see picture but the sequel was just taken as a just for kids picture Mm -hmm. and that's something that usually is an issue for animated franchises Mm -hmm. the lego movie 2 the angry birds 2 um probably trolls 2 with that gone the route you know in a non-covid time right right Mm -hmm. um and you know again we'll never know unfortunately but I'll say what I've said a thousand times in the last two years, which is that DC was on a winning streak before COVID. Right, right. Their their yeah. their strategy of having a disconnected universe was working fine. Um, yeah. And, you know, I would say Book Club is very much like Shazam in that, or Book Club 2 is very much like Shazam 2, in which people got what they wanted out of it the first time, and they didn't particularly need it ever again. Yes. Yeah. And... You know, I may have overestimated the the, you know, the first Shazam's breakout potential, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I'm right. It really all, was all the DC madness. I don't know. Well, um, speaking of sequels, you know, Book Club 2, Shazam 2, we just had Fast 10. 
So this is the yes. tenth movie oh, in the more. saga. One more, John Wick Chapter Four, one hundred eighty-five million domestic. Mm. Two, it should be four thirty worldwide, which means it's just above or just under Bad Boys for Life, and will soon be the biggest R-rated movie out of Hollywood since Joker in late twenty nineteen. Wow. And all four John Wick movies have now crossed a billion dollars globally on a combined budget of $245 million. Wow. Wow. What, what a great that franchise. That is why you still make original franchises. Because when, when, when it works, holy shit. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, now they're going to try and turn that to a cinematic universe, and we'll see how that goes. But the core saga, the core John Wick saga, is one of the great box office stories of the past 10 years, easily. It really is. <laughs> um, and and is in some ways similar to the Fast and Furious uh, uh, franchise in that they yes. seem to get stronger with each one. You know, John Wick 4 may have been its Fast 7. You know, this may have been the peak or, or we may be on our way to the peak of John Wick. We will see in the future. But uh, very similar saga. So, but we are now at... Fast and Furious 10, which is the 11th film in the franchise, the 10th in the core saga, of course, with the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff in there. And it opened, like you said, to $67.5 million domestic. So this is two and a half million or so less than what Fast 9 made in the covid summer of 2021. One of those first films, along with Black Widow and Cruella, that reopened the box office post-vaccine. And I'll tell you right now, I did think, despite the projections that this movie would make in the low 70s, my thought was, how could it make less than the last movie did when you had so many less screens and theaters available three years ago? So, Scott, tell us, is this a reason for Universal to be worried about this franchise? Obviously, it's on the decline, but how decliny is it? Yes and no. I mean, I have long speculated that most of the quote-unquote surefire tentpoles that opened in 2021 did about 85% of what they otherwise would have done. Mm -hmm. And I include Fast F9 in that category. Mm -hmm. Because there were so many big movies that did a, you know, Quiet Place Part 2, um... Godzilla v. Kong, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, uh, No Time to Die, that basically did about what they would have done in normal times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we all got a little kooky, not we, but other people yes. got a little kooky about, you know, every every delayed movie was a billion-dollar movie in the waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, Black Widow was not going to cross a billion. Wonder Woman was not going to cross a billion. Tenet was not going to cross a billion. Mm-hmm. Um, Top Gun was, oh, wait, that one did. Never mind. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and there were a few films that I would argue did better opening in 2021 than they would have as just another tentpole in a non-COVID environment, mm-hmm. like Top Gun Maverick, like Spider-Man No Way Home, Dune, Free Guy, Godzilla v. Kong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Spider-Man would have been huge regardless, but I think opening you know in July of 2021 in a normal world as just the midsummer you know MCU film, you know, it might have to settle for most of the money instead of all the mm-hmm. money. Um, and that's fine, whatever. Um, I think F9. Wasn't a particularly good movie, and it was the first one since Tokyo Drift that had neither Paul Walker nor Dwayne Johnson. Mm. And you know we can debate and you know, whatever about what they respectively brought to the franchise, but 
the films that had both of them obviously did a lot better than the ones that did not. Right. Now, is that fair? No, because obviously Paul Walker passed away. Um, but I do think. But we can F9, blame Dwayne Johnson. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, let's assume they were both equally culpable in whatever that dust up was in 2017. Okay. I mean, I, I, I absolutely blame him for the crap he tried to pull with DC films. Mm-hmm. I'm less cranky about this just because I mean, he was brought on as a supporting player. You want a spinoff, he got a spinoff. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if he didn't want to come back, whatever. Um, and the film did about 319 worldwide, uh, which means if it has the same legs as uh, Fate of the Furious, which also had an all-at-once global opening. F9 opened very slowly over that summer 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, F Fate of the Furious made $1.236 billion, including 391 in China. I'll get to that in a second. Um, from a then-record $541 million global opening. If this film has similar legs, then it gets to around $730 million, which would be fine if the film cost, you know, $200 million mm-hmm. or even $250. But unfortunately, the film cost around $340. Some of that's because of COVID upcharges. Some of that may be because of a last minute director swap. I don't know how the math behind that kind of thing works. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they. You know, if the director leaves and they have a new director on set in a week, how much extra will it really cost them? Right, right. You have to fly him there and get him a new hotel room, but that's minimal. Um, But the other thing is, you know, if I think a lot of the money goes to the the above-the-line cast. Right. Because this this franchise has a terrible habit of not killing their villains, bringing them back as good guys, and resurrecting dead characters. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And... That to me is is something I don't like about the franchise from an artistic point of view, mm-hmm. just because you know I think that's a problem with modern character centric franchise making these days. You can't kill anybody off because boo hoo, the fans will be sad. Right, right. But it's now become a commercial Achilles heel too. Right, because you have to pay for all these people. Right, right. It is, it is, it is. And Clayton and I haven't seen this film yet. We currently are planning to see it this Friday. But when you look at this cast. It is crazy that you need it. And we love John Cena, but did you really need to have John Cena in this movie? There's no room for anyone to really add to the marketing. Like, I'm sure they're glad John Cena is putting it on his Instagram, but it's so it's so diffused all of the promotional elements. And listen, we're not here. We're far from ever going to join in the whatever this weird anti Brie Larson online stuff is but what is the point of even putting brie larson in this movie if she's not really going to be a star like once you no, do you need helen mirren in this movie do you need yeah you know charlize is in this and i know she's in the other ones but it's it's almost like a brooklyn Nets situation where you have too many superstars (laughs) that it becomes an actual like minus instead of a plus right and, you know, if you've seen F- – I assume you've seen F9, right? Yes, yes. Yes. I mean, there's a moment in the climax where it seems like she's been killed, mm-hmm. but then it turns out to be a fake out. Mm-hmm. It's like – or she could have, like, stayed dead. That would have yeah. been fine. Right, right. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I still think Sam Jackson should have stayed dead in The Winter Soldier. But, you mm-hmm. know, that's how old-fashioned I am. Right. Um, but – and, yeah, Brie Larson – 
who is generally a very good actress, is not well served in this picture mm-hmm. at all, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen most of her cool stuff in the brief moments of the trailer. Yeah. It's- okay. Um, ironically, John Cena is actually a lot of fun in this because he gets to be John Cena as opposed to, you know, very stoic, reserved villain man. Yes. Um, again, you know, and, and Jason Statham has played Deckard Shaw maybe five or six times, has never ever played him the same more than once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost incredible how inconsistent his characterization is from movie to movie. Yeah, he's doing some um, kind of performance art piece at this point yes. in this franchise. Um and but yeah, I mean it's 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 the cast is crowded. A lot of them are underserved, especially the newbies. Um, and I think there's a case to be made of just, you know, letting the villains either stay dead or stay in jail. So when you, you compared the, their, the trajectory here to, you know, if it legs out the way eight and nine did, this is where it'll end up. I mean, based on having seen it and based on the buzz around this one in particular, my thought would be. I would be surprised if it legs out as well as any of the movies up to this point. I mean, I, I don't think this is a situation yet where it's quote unquote out of the woods box office wise, because there no. is a, to me in Utah, there is a, a world in which this could really nosedive in the next few weeks. Yes. I mean, uh, I will say, I think it's a better film than any of them since F or furious seven. Okay. By default, mind you, but nonetheless, um, China overall seems to like it more than the last one. Okay, and while eighty million over five days is pretty good for, you know, the current status of Hollywood movies in China, it's obviously far less than even F nine did two years ago, mm-hmm. which opened to one hundred and thirty four over three days in twenty twenty one. That one started nosediving on opening night because mm-hmm. it was mythology centric too focused on world building filled with retcons that nobody gave a damn about Mm -hmm. the same crap that Hollywood people, you know, we complain about China doesn't like that either. Mm -hmm. And we know that because a few months before F nine came out, detective Chinatown two broke the opening weekend record for any territory by making $399 million in three days in China. Wow. But then it only, uh only ended up with 700 million in China. And I saw the film. I, I think the second one's better, but I enjoyed this one, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the second act is very continuity heavy, retconny. You know, you're a part of a bigger world, blah blah blah. You know, sequel setup nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think China reacted to that the same way we did to something like The Mummy. So around the world, so they were making the same said, mistakes. It we had are. nothing. The reception of that film in China had nothing to do with John Cena talking about Taiwan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the film was already declining well before that. Well, and there was a level of, you know, there was always the joke, when are they going to go to space? And then they went to space. And yes. and that is one of those things that is great for online fanboy talk. But then when you listen to that and do it, it's ridiculous. And it's a jump the shark sort of situation. Now, I want to yes. run this past you because me and Pat, obviously, we talked about this, Pat, uh, at the water cooler at the HQ about how. Fast and the Furious used to be the series that the thinking man, the hip person would say, these are the good action movies. These are the fun, dumb action movies that we can all enjoy. Right. And that 
peaked at F7, right? So Mm -hmm. I I think it started bubbling. F9 obviously had its peak. And then F8, we were still kind of like, oh, you know, we're still riding those fumes and riding the fun that was F7. And then 9 really did a number on this franchise to make people think, oh, no, it's just dumb. And it's lost its way. And I think those people have poured it onto now the Mission Impossible movies have taken over. That's something Pat said that they've taken over that slot. Like the those are the thinking man's hip action movies. Yes. Um, Furious 7, do it, uh, and, you know, for, the, for what it's worth and, you know, all due respect, I think we could all agree that Furious 7 would not have been as successful globally, especially domestically, had Paul Walker not died in the middle of the production. Mm-hmm. You know, that film, that event lent the film a certain gravitas and pathos and emotional oomph that it otherwise would not have had. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, and I, I you know, James, I, I think before that happened, the idea was to be a more lean, grounded 1970s style picture after the, you know, pop and circumstance of the sixth film, which was the closest thing they came to quote unquote a superhero movie. Right. Right. Um, but. So I think they've been I don't want to say coasting cuz that's not that's that's meaner than I intend but I think they've been coasting longer than they otherwise would have because the seventh film a you're dealing with the reception around Paul Walker b I think to a certain extent that film was sort of a generational coronation of the franchise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and by that I mean while critics the adults in the room in 2001 2003 2006 2009 even 2011 you know the up to a point were you know they didn't always trash them, but they weren't considered necessarily esteemed pictures. But mm-hmm. by the time Furious 7 came out, the kids and teens that grew up with the franchise were now the adults in the room. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, that, that to me is always, you know, what, why did Keanu Reeves get so popular all of a sudden? The answer is that the kids that grew up on, you know, Bill and Ted Matrix and Speed grew up and became the adult critics. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and well, when you look at, when you look at uh, uh, Fast and the Furious, the first movie, it's a basically Point Break remake, right? Mm-hmm. And Point Break was looked at for years and years as a laughable film. Now yes. it is canonized as a classic. You ask yes. anybody, it is a classic film. And that's what we're seeing. Like what you said, that's the movement in culture. Yeah. And, you know, and even where, you know, it's, it's, while it sometimes make me rolls my eyes, because, you know, it's like, Look, I was I saw I saw Hook when I was eleven. I didn't like it when I was eleven. Stop pretending there's some misbegotten masterpiece. Yes, here. we don't have to reclaim or, you know, last everything. Hero, yes, which you know when I saw the thirteen, I still knew it stunk. Yes, um, but th- there's always going to be a certain you know we're already, we're already seeing, and I don't entirely disagree with this. A certain reevaluation of Michael Bay's Transformers movies. Mm. Now that's a little more complicated. It's not saying oh they're good actually. It's more like that we are more aware that the specifics of that franchise a larger than life spectacle the the reliance on practical effects except for the transformers themselves uh the vul- the vulgar altruism mm. you know makes them stand out more in a more cookie cutter environment and you know years later we realize that for better or worse, there was never another franchise that was quite like that one. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And we we will um, be touching a little bit more on this Transformers franchise in a bit because we are getting some tracking yes. 
on the uh, is it Mark um, of the Beast, Burden of the Beast, Rise of the Beast. Rise of the Beast, Transformers Mark Rise of the Beast of would be like the Oops Exorcist sequel or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we'll but anyway <laughs> we'll be touching on that. So um, just back back to this fresh number sixty seven point five domestic. This is obviously not the disaster it could have been. We had some tracking that was going yeah, this, as low this as could 50. have been a divergent Fantastic Beast situation. Yes, it was not. Yes, mm-hmm. it, it, the thing is. These are still big, big movies. Obviously, like you said, the budgets do not match uh, or, or make these viable at this budget. So no matter what, they will have to figure out the budget situation going forward. Good luck, though. You know, uh, spoiler alert, sort of. Obviously, Dwayne Johnson is going to be coming back into these movies. So good luck getting your budget under control, bringing him back into the movie, unless he's getting mm-hmm. just a purely profit-sharing deal. So that's something for them to figure out. But Vin Diesel uh, on one of the red carpets in the last week or so dropped the line that this was not the second to last movie. This is the first of a final trilogy, meaning there's supposedly two more movies based on this opening weekend worldwide. Scott, do you really think it is viable for Universal? I think he's going to be around 60 years old by the time such a movie would come out. Mm -hmm. And... They, we can't all be Tom Cruise or Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think he was just talking to talk on the red carpet. Maybe he's optimistic, but it's not like, again, it annoys me when stuff like that is talked about in interviews and whatever, and people that should know better take it as objective fact. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Um, they, they've got to bring again, this that's to no, a just, You know, it's, it's – um, but – yeah, and there's there's no law saying that they can't try like hell to get the budget under two fifty next time out. Right, right, right. And allegedly, this next one will be the finale. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, you're going to get some kind of finale bump. Yep. Um, although you know, again, I don't know if that's something that even happens all that much anymore, except for something like Avengers, where you know everyone's really been following along the whole time, right. like Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think, you know, it's, 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 for example, Saw 10 or uh, Saw 7 got a minor bump from Saw 6, but it's not like people that gave up at Saw 4 were going to come back for the final chapter. Right. I, I think, though, there and is. And nobody. A- there is a world. nobody believes that it's going to end though i i think also no, nothing ever ends so it's also never going to end and i think we all learned that yeah. you know uh, well i i, I would dis- yeah, i would disagree with that a little bit uh sorry to cut out. I, I would disagree a little bit with that clayton where listen they will end up making more fast and furious movies down the line but i definitely think you could sell a quote unquote final fast and furious movie as a big deal in the sense that this will be the last one for a long time. I do think you could yes. sell a finale to the series. I do not think you could sell the next movie as being the movie before the finale. I do think there is a yes. world, there is a good chance that situation, that movie fully bombs. The next movie yes. has to be the sold as a finale sequel. And that's why I'm not concerned about, you know, pardon the pun, the fate of the franchise, because this is the end, you know, they're winding down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Oh, oh no, it's, it's okay. Well, they're done. So good. And they, they quit almost just in time. Yeah. Um, and as long as they don't try to 
you know, wring another one out of this when there's clearly a declining interest, then they'll be fine. Right, right. There, there, there was a, a world in which – Or this they'll was... just say, Illumination presents Fast and Furious and make a billion dollars again. Oh, if they mi- yeah. if they mix the family with the with the minions, then you've got <laughs> you've got a, a full ten more movies on your hands. Bring in the Mamma Mia crew. They all have to go to Greece to save the day or something. Yes, that yeah. Um, Get Meryl Meryl back. Dwayne's back. Then you've got yourself a a, a billion dollar baby but for sure. I, I will say this: as, as crowded as the movie is, Jason Momoa is wonderful in this picture. He is genuinely entertaining. He is exactly what the franchise needs in terms of a campy over the top villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is entertainment value unto unto himself, which is important for somebody that maybe is a little tired of his franchise tropes. Interesting. Yeah, but I mean, then he's probably going to end up on the roof having a barbecue with him by the end of the next that one. That is so a wonderful question. We're yeah. going to see the same problem, no yeah. doubt. You know, because they're going to want to bring him back. They're going to want to bring him back in some capacity, and they're probably going to do a Cena with him. That's what they always do. The the people who murder people, which they end up not being dead anyway, because there's no stakes in these movies, they end up just being invited to the barbecue. And I guess yes. maybe that's a message about humanity. Mm. We can all change. We are all capable of evil, but also capable of good. Or it's just like people like this actor. Let's bring him into the family. Well, and you'll notice in F9 that they never showed John Cena directly causing any deaths. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That was very intentional. Mm-hmm. So just before we leave this, since we're on Momoa, do you think that this movie gives him a bump? Because as a movie star, he he's very much one of those actors who is the one character. I mean, unless I'm missing something, I can't think of him being a lead in a big hit that is not a Aquaman movie. Does this movie do no, anything I mean, for his his movie star career or is it? I think it does in the sense that, hey, if we put this guy in this already existing project, it's going to give us some, you know, some ingredients that weren't otherwise there. Mm-hmm. So he's not box office Viagra like The Rock, but he's box office flower maybe he'll you know. yeah it's like it's an added value element yes he's box office paprika. especially if you let moma be you know you let him be himself mm-hmm. and you know it's it's there's some talk online in a non-malicious way about whether or not the villain was one of those you know oh they're queer coding the bad guys again it's like mm-hmm. you're not wrong but he's that character comes off so much of like not dissimilar to moma's off-screen persona anyway mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's like it's clearly he's like doing a version of himself except he kills people great so it's very theatrical very you know yes. we had a, a guest recently compared him to the gary oldman in the professional villain you know someone yeah. who would walk through a, a doorway filled with beads and sort of like yes skip through that <laughs> yes so so good for jason momoa and yeah, I think we're all in agreement. This number is fine as long as they're not trying to wring two more movies out of this because that yeah. could be disastrous. So looking just- – Well, and a positive note, Pat. Sorry, yes. we got to do the demos real fast because okay, great. that's where this shines, this franchise in its diversity, right? Because mm-hmm. we've got 29% Latino Hispanic, 22% Black, 19% Asian and other – and. 29% Caucasian, 18 to 34 at 59%. It's young. It's multicultural. I mean, 
the thing with these movies is they have a core. They have a core audience. We're seeing that core audience is around probably, what, $60 million worth of people, which isn't too shabby for a, what, 20-plus-year-old franchise. Right. Yeah. Right. And that is worth remembering that with the exception of the Mr. Impossible series, this is basically the oldest ongoing franchise. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're, if you're counting. With the exception of, you know, ones like Toy Story that come every 10 years. Right. Yeah. I don't think those count. Like it has to be a consistent yeah. product so it's, over it's the Mission years. Impossible, Bond, and this. Yeah. But even the Bond films kind of sort of do soft reboots every several years. Well, and and speaking of that, because I know we want to get to more important things, but uh, you mentioned that and we had me and Pat have had this conversation, too, off mic about, you know, with the success of the Mario Brothers movie, what what was your what would be your thought of if they did a Bond reboot and they just adapted the GoldenEye N64 game? As an actual film. I mean, listen, I know you're scoffing at it now, but very popular game. And that's a new direction for that franchise to go. First person Um, shooter bond. You never even have to recast him because we never see him. It's because bond is is you. It's a pretty faithful adaptation of the movie. And yeah. as far as first person shooter, they tried, the, you know, they had a scene like that and die another day. And it, you know, I don't want, nobody wants a whole movie of that. Yeah. I mean, well, hard, hardcore Henry hasn't changed that too. Hasn't yeah. changed movies the way I predicted it would w- <laughs> when it came out. I was very on board that hardcore Henry was the future and that has not panned out yet. So it is not panned, not out, panned no. out yet. So, Looking real quick at the movie that came in second this weekend, Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 3 in its third weekend. Another very good hold, only dropped 48%. It's now at $266 million domestic. So I want to get your take, Scott, on where you were coming out of this sort of quote-unquote underperforming opening weekend it had. But now that it's had these two holds, especially the fantastic under 50% second week drop, which is just amazing not just for a superhero movie but any movie that finishes number one that high um where what is this does this mean anything to you on this state of quote-unquote superhero fatigue marvel fatigue or is this simply a referendum on people like this movie for the record when people talk about superhero fatigue they should only be talking about marvel and dc because comic book superhero properties outside of marvel and dc have not been bankable for at least a decade Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Bloodshot, Hellboy, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, the last genuinely successful superhero movie that wasn't DC or Marvel was probably Chronicle, and you know, a couple months before the Avengers mm-hmm. in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that being said, I mean, I think the opening was smaller than it might have otherwise been because people felt a little burned by Thor Love and Thunder and um, especially Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which was terrible, mm-hmm. all due respect. Um, so there was a little bit of, well, I don't need to see it right this second. Uh, also, it's not a film that people felt the need to race out and see because they were worried about spoilers because it is a standalone picture. Um, and, you know, I assume you've all seen it. So yes. the big spoiler is that it just tells a good story. Right. right. Um and so the fact that it's holding as well as it did is just part of that is people didn't race out to see it right away 
um, and that the word of mouth is very good. The reviews are good. The word of mouth is good. You know, these 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 Marvel can still be execution de- dependent. Yes. In fact, they be maybe more execution dependent as the novelty wears off. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So a three star Marvel might not be enough to do four star box office anymore. Right. Right. Um, especially in China. Right. But yeah. also everywhere else, and. I mean, is, you know, the fact that Guardians has done well means that you know, if you build it, they will come. Which means if you make a good one, they will still show up. And Thor: Love and Thunder was a hit. It's worth remembering that film was pretty leggy in the summer of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, it legged out to 343 ish on a 143 opening weekend, a total that domestically that Guardians might not hit, right. despite being right now very leggy. Right. Um, right. But as far as, you know, quote unquote, superhero fatigue, I mean, I just, it's been 15 years. The novelty is wearing off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I do worry about the next batch of films, partially because, you know, and, you know, damn them for waiting so damn long. But the hook for a lot of these upcoming films is, you know, they're more inclusive than the previous ones. The Marvels, Captain America, New World Order, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they waited so long to do that. They, they, it's almost like they intentionally, I'm not going to say they actually did, but it feels like they intentionally waited until the idea of a big budget Marvel superhero movie was no longer in itself an event to start making ones that weren't just starring white guys named Chris. Right. The fad is over and now here yeah. is Eternals and here yeah, it's is almost a glass that. cliff situation. Right, right. Where you know they they hire a you know a black female CEO right as the company is about to go under so they can put the blame all on her right. In fact, you could argue you could argue the entire industry is about that now. You know we're we're getting desperate free groups of Transformers and Scream and the Little Mermaid, but we have to you know we we can't be too mean to them because they have inclusive casting now. So and so uh, just on. Guardians again at this here's something I want to throw out you know I know he's an actor who uh and Mario doesn't change this is very much tied to being the lead in movies that kind of seem like they should be giant hits anyway and I'm talking about Chris Pratt but this Guardians over you know this great Guardians hold right on the heels of this incredible Super Mario Brothers run is Chris Pratt a bigger on his own movie star than we have given himself given him credit yes. for. Uh yes, because I mean here here's why I think that. I think that Dungeons and Dragons starring Chris Pratt makes it to 300 worldwide. Wow. Mm. Whether yeah. or not it's better for the movie, that's an open conversation. Whether or not he's your favorite Chris, I mean Chris Walken's my favorite Chris, but whatever. Thank you. Um, the worst Chris is Christopher Columbus for changing all of uh, Mark's songs in the second act of Rent. I still never forgive him. You know that's true. They never um, put him in those in those Battle of the Chris's uh, uh, BuzzFeed articles, <laughs> but that's so true. He yeah. is the worst Chris. Yeah. Um, no, I, mean, I joke. It, I mean, is, the first two Harry Potter films were actually quite good. Is is Chris, um, is Chris uh, a Chris Pine? voiced Super Mario Brothers a significantly less of a hit than a Chris Pratt voice Super Mario Brothers? Uh, significant is a strong word because it's not like the film bombs, 
But people who otherwise don't pay attention to this stuff, my son knows who Chris Pratt is. Right. And mm-hmm. to the extent that he cares when you're 11 years old, he likes Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Now, he's a huge fan of the Jurassic franchise. He enjoyed Super Mario Brothers. He likes the Guardians films. He couldn't pick Chris Pine out of a lineup, mm-hmm. even though he's seen Wonder Woman. He's seen Dungeons and Dragons, which he enjoyed. You know, he's seen some of these pictures. Um, you know, same thing with, you know, I mean, you might know who Chris Hemsworth is, but it's not like he cares. It's not like he's going to mm-hmm. go, oh, I can't wait for Extraction 2. Yep. Um, I'm looking forward to Extraction 2, but I digress. Um so no, I do think he is an, a huge added value element. Yes, to films that probably would have been successful anyway, but they are more successful because of his genuine butts and seats appeal. Yeah, and I think that's that that's such a good point because it's a it's a weird chicken or the egg situation, right? Because when you say Chris yes. Pine being the voice of Mario, in my mind, I think. Well, that probably wouldn't happen because they want a bigger star for voicing Mario and that bigger star is Chris Pratt. You know what I mean? It's like that Mario movie with a Chris Pine voice, would it be a better movie? That's not the conversation, but it would maybe not be an Illumination movie, right? It might not be at the same level of quality or the level of expense as a movie with Chris Pratt as the voice of Mario. So that proves, plus as much as uh, we don't watch these movies, like Tomorrow War, that movie Which on was Prime <laughs> was huge. The people watched the shit out of that movie. And yes, it wasn't in theaters. And the Terminal so that's, List had excellent the, ratings for the first three weeks. Yeah. So that's the thing is like he has a presence on home streaming that also fortifies people's involvement with him as a star and they will go see movies in the theater with him when they're available. Yes. And again, you got to remember, and the same thing with Jennifer Lawrence, who I think we undervalued as a star because she could have came of age right as we were, you know, the, the movie star was sort of going the way of the dodo bird, but mm-hmm. it, you know, was joy a hit? No, but it made 105 million entirely on her name. Yes. Was red sparrow a hit? No. But because it cost seventy million dollars to make, but it was an R-rated sex and nudity and violence-filled spy film that made one hundred and sixty-nine million dollars just on yeah, that. yep, yeah. And Passengers, ninety million dollars, entirely original, controversial online, mixed reviews, still did three hundred million in late uh, two thousand sixteen against mm-hmm. Sing and against Rogue One. Yes, yes. And I do think she helped open No Hard Feelings this summer. Oh, that that yeah. is that to me is one of the most interesting movie openings of this summer because there's so much on the line there. There's the Jennifer Lawrence start. I'm not really on the line, but I think there's a lot to take from that as to whether she's currently still a, a giant movie star. And of course, just comedy in general as a box office genre. No Hard Feelings, I think, is one of the top three to five box office stories of this summer. It's very important. Mm-hmm. God willing. Yeah. Um, hopefully Joyride makes a couple bucks too. Yep. Cause it's terrific by the way. I have seen it. Excellent. Um, okay. And uh, you know, you know, speaking of which, I mean, I think absent COVID, I think constant Wu was about to become a movie star. Oh yes. Constant mm. Wu. She made yep. two leading vehicles, both of which were either based on a novel or you know, based on a newspaper story or something. Right. And they both opened with over $30 million in their respective opening weekends. Oh. And was that her? I don't know. But I'll tell you right now, most of the white male guys that we consider movie stars can't pull those kind of openings outside of a franchise. Oh, it, yeah. She she had a run in that year or two 
that in 1995 makes her Sandra Bullock. I mean, yes. W- when you even look at Sandra Bullock's uh, initial run becoming a movie star, she's the co-lead in a Keanu Reeves-led action movie, and then she's the lead of While You Were Sleeping, which does not do the numbers of either uh, Crazy Rich Asians or Hustlers. I mean... Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, obviously, you didn't have to. Right, I mean, right. It's, it's, that's when, hey, it opened at number one with $9 million. That's a smash. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, oh, Constance <laughs> is a, Wu is, is in 1995, yeah. a, a big, big yes. front of People magazine, you know, on the cover of yeah. Entertainment Weekly movie star. And, and you know, that's what that's what pisses me off about, you know, Hollywood waiting na- until now to do inclusivity and diversity yep. is they waited exactly until the movie stars were no longer a thing. Right. Right, right. And, and she, yeah, yeah, she had her priorities in the right place because a lot of people gave her guff for that tweet about being upset that her sitcom got renewed. And I said, you know what? She was going to be a movie star. That's why yeah. she didn't want to do that sitcom anymore. Uh, I'd be bummed too. Yeah. 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 And um, especially in, in hindsight, because obviously, mm-hmm. no, you know, most of us did not see a global pandemic on the horizon. Right. right. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 that's what pisses me off about the the discourse, whether it's, you know, or, you know yeah, it's, a, it's about these these properties that are being revived, recycled and re-upped, almost using inclusivity as a shield or a or a justification. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in some cases, I think it's hanging out these actors out to drop. Yes. Yes. Well, speaking about the discourse, let's look ahead to a couple of movies coming out in the next month or so that have some current discourse going Let's start with Indiana Jones uh, yeah. 5, Ooh. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The discourse is coming out of the Cannes Film Festival where it's screened. It is – the embargo was lifted, so there are full-on reviews. The Rotten Tomato score last I checked was, I think, 42% or so. So yes. this film, I think, has – uh, uh, both genuine and disingenuous discourse. There's obviously the online discourse that is just, you know, the the uh, incel YouTubers screaming that there's a woman uh, in in the movie, you know, screaming about Phoebe Waller. Unlike any other Indiana Jones film ever. But somehow this one is is <laughs> offends them. But there is the genuine. I would say, you know. People are saying this is not a good movie. Critics are saying it's not a good movie. I think you could have an honest, uh, non-sexist reaction to saying this is not good. So the critical uh, score for this not being good. My sexist reaction is she looks hot in the movie. Thank you, Scott Mendelson. (laughs) Thank you for joining Team Fleabag here on the BO Boys. Like, oh, no, she's wearing a leather jacket and a fedora. Oh, no, please don't make me watch that. It's caused a lot of it's caused a lot of angry thumbnails on YouTube videos, as far as I'm seeing. But this movie incels for a reason. This movie is, uh, I think, was always an iffy prospect at the box office. Spielberg's not directing it. Harrison Ford, God love him, is very old to be the lead in a action adventure movie. And with the reviews being bad, I feel like this was always a movie that did need to have good reviews and good buzz coming into opening weekend. Scott, where are you now on the box office chances of Indiana Jones 5 with this buzz? They're in deep shit. Wow. Um, and look, the trailer, the first trailer looked terrible. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. The second trailer looked better. You know, the one set to, I think, uh, 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 
in sympathy for the devil, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But for them to show the film six weeks early, give or take, and have the in in a festival setting where you know you're going to get your standing ovation and you're going people that are primed and pumped to see it, and people that are old enough to think you know it's my indie, it's my franchise, and it still gets mixed negative reviews. That's bad. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I. I don't know. I mean, maybe they just didn't know what they didn't have. Yep. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, but there, what do you think the thinking was? Because this is Universal, right? Indiana Jones. No, it's Disney. Oh, Disney, of course. I'm sorry, Disney. Yeah. So, what do you think the thinking was? Did Disney misread the quality of this movie? Because uh, again, I, I feel would have to assume so. Because if they knew, they could have premiered the Little Mermaid at Cannes, mm-hmm. which. I'm not big on it, but it's you know it's basically exactly what you're expecting, right? Right. Um, and the review from Bargo drops for that tomorrow, and I've seen enough discourse to think it's going to be meh. Right. It'll it'll be in um, the 70s on Rotten Tomato, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but or you know, some, obviously they're they're already debuting Elemental at the end of the week, so they could have you know, um. That one, I think they assume is good because it's Pixar. Right, right. Um, but yeah, this is a shockingly, you know, not since X-Men Apocalypse as a major studio premiered a huge movie way in advance of the opening weekend and let Embargo drop way early, which made everyone think, well, this is going to be really great. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to not be great at all. Right. Um, so I now- could see this as a Bob Chapik mistake, but how does how does this happen under Bob Iger? Like how how does he allow this to happen? Old I boss, mean, he lost his fastball. Yeah, I mean, he lost his fastball. That different. He's just. I think he at least puts out a forward-facing image of being more talent-friendly and more interested in, you know, trusting the guts of, you know, the gut reactions of artists versus data. And mm-hmm. I think he's better at PR and public relations mm-hmm. and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think everything that JPEG did was automatically evil. And I don't think everything that Iger does is automatically good. At the end of the day, he was there when Rise of Skywalker came out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I think a lot of the anti-theatrical stuff that Bob Chapek got dinged for doing correctly. So I don't know that Iger wouldn't have done that differently if he had been in the, you know, there when, you know, the world shut down and Wall Street was saying, streaming, 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 nothing else matters but streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think he would have realized the long-term peril of turning Pixar into a direct-to-streaming brand, but I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think, you know, it just, it's a, you know, being generous and, you know, I don't think there's any conspiracy. I think they just made a blunder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. they. But as far as making the movie, I mean, when you lose Steven Spielberg, you lose George Lucas. It's basically, it's no longer special. It's just Disney on Jones is another piece of Disney IP. Right. Mm-hmm. It's basically the mummy, the curse of the tomb emperor or whatever. Yeah, I mean, of uh, the dragon emperor where Brandon, Fra- Brendan Fraser is there, but otherwise everyone else is gone. Right, right. And the last Indiana Jones movie, a movie which at that point people were talking about, is Harrison Ford too old to be in this movie? That came out 
15, 15 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Back when movies on the scale and size of Indiana Jones, the Game of the Crystal Skull, were still unique and still an automatic event. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. They weren't, you know, every two weeks in theaters, you get a 150 to $250 million temple. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, and again, I have not seen the film, so I'm going to tread carefully here, but as suggested in the previews, frankly, and some of the some of the comments that James Mangold has offered, a director who I generally use films I quite mm-hmm. like, but you know, the whole, they're trying to sell sort of a pop culture amnesia thing where like this film was about Indiana Jones coming to terms with his mortality and realizing that he kind of wasted his life and getting his priorities together. And he's back after all these years. It's like, I saw that movie 15 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. right. It wasn't great, but I saw that movie 15 years ago. Right. And I'm curious, you know, when I see the film, and I'll see it when I see it, whatever, you know, is it going to be a case of, you know, basically the same story and the same arc as keeping the crystal skull, just hoping that we all forgot about that. Right. And, and Indiana um, Jones uh, doing that type of movie with Indiana Jones, the him dealing with his mortality and, and question of what his life was worth. If you're going to do that movie, that has to completely hit the bullseye to the point where mm-hmm. Harrison Ford is getting Oscar buzz, you know, to the point mm-hmm. where this is a it needs to be Creed or at least. Rocky yeah, Balboa. yes, mm-hmm. that is exactly what I was oh. going to go to. This franchise Sorry. needed to find its creed. And it seems yeah. like it's still not going all the way there where it's still like, but we have to be poppy Indiana Jones. And that is such a tough line to 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 thread of that type of and, movie. But also he's dealing with his mortality. That is who is that and, for? And again, 15 years ago, movies like that were still, you know, new. You know, I, I think the, I would argue one of the first legacy sequels of that kind was Live Free and Die Hard the previous summer mm-hmm. where John McClane, you know, 20 years after Die Hard or whatever the math is, was an analog hero in a digital world. Right. And that was interesting. That, and in Indiana Jones' call, that was interesting to see Indiana Jones comparatively brought low, you know, as his, his friend tells him in a heartbreaking line that – it seems you've reached the age when life starts stops giving you things and starts taking them away. Right, right. And that was 15 years was 15 ago. Years mm-hmm. ago. <laughs> it is it is yeah. so old now. I mean, listen, we both earlier in this conversation, Scott, you and I, we both love Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I think she will be great in I listen, I'm going to see this movie because she's in it, but I I don't know if her star power is going to do that for <laughs> many other people. You mean the one to two million people, maybe that have seen every episode of Fleabag? exactly. So I think that is. I, on I the think world saying wise. they're all online, but yeah, right. I think saying star power is kind of laughable well, in this. Well, case. and again, that's that's not your fault. That's 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 the media at well, large. You know, yeah. we're convinced that Noah Centineo is a movie star because people thirst tweet about him after they watch the Netflix rom com. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, where I first tweet about the girls, I have to go to jail. It's not fair. It's not fair. Mm. It's not fair, Scott. (laughs) But, but I mean, you know, my thought, and again, this movie hasn't come out yet. I think we're all starting to feel like it's going to underperform. I I am surprised that they didn't try and get a Emma Stone, Jennifer Lawrence, like true female movie star in that part rather than going for like, and again, she's great, but going for the underground, cool, you know, person sensation. Made the classic mistake of mistaking film Twitter for the real world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they thought they had that kind of name in bridge. Right. Right. Bridge. I mean, and again, that's nothing to do with her. No. She's fantastic. Funny, talented, et cetera, et cetera. 
But you um, were talking about how um, Constance Wu suffered because of the pandemic and momentum yes. loss. Phoebe Waller-Bridge also suffered because she had won. I mean, everybody suffered, but I'm talking career-wise. She had all that momentum from those Emmys. She swept those Emmys. She was a known name. They were announcing all these things, Mr. and Mrs. Smith with, uh, with um, what's his face? Donald Glover. She dropped out of that, didn't she? She did. She really dropped out of that like maybe a, a year or so ago. But she had momentum and then, boom, ground to a halt. And if that movie, if this movie would have come out with no pandemic, she would be more of a known quantity. But all of her momentum was completely stopped because of it. Well, I think she still has plenty of catch as a writer. Yes, I think I think, and that you know, because she is a good actress who is attractive on screen, you know, there'll still be value to like you. You get you get this person with genuine you know screen presence who's a kick-ass writer too so why not bring her on board right right so just you know looking at coming out of the buzz on this indiana jones movie all of the possible you know all of the flaws inherently it has which is that he's very old to be in this kind of part and the fact that the nostalgia for this is i don't think there in the way it was 15 years ago because the generations have aged out of it they played that card already. Right. Do we... See, you know, you can only do that so many times. You know, <laughs> Crystal Skull in 2008 opened to $100 million. I think we're all on board. There's no way this 150 movie... 150 on five, on over five days. Wow. Did 317 domestic and 785 worldwide, which, to be fair, was a lot more than Iron Man that year. Wow. So I think we all um, agree there's no way it's getting anywhere near those numbers. And that probably wasn't... Not now. Wasn't a realistic thought even a month ago. Unless everyone at Cannes just had, you know, was in a grouchy mood and Disney like schedules a bunch of screenings in the next month to boost, get those numbers right, up. Right, right, right. Uh, which that's the question is, do you, do you do that and hope to God that the next batch of critics like it more? Right. Or do you let even more people see it and that quote almighty tomato meter score or whatever doesn't go up or worse, it goes down. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I you show it to friendly ringers. I think that's what they're going to try and do is they're going to be like, these are critics that love our stuff and yeah. they are going to raise this up, but it's not going to reach the point. It can't at this point with a start at like in the forties, it's not going to be able to get to the eighties or the nineties. Their yeah. hope is that they can get it to 65 70 that would be the hope well it's not going to be creed i think the thing is no matter what the rotten tomato score is this is not going to be a great movie where the buzz is propelling it past the yeah it's not going to be obviously top gun maverick exactly Mm -hmm. which again this was never going to do 1.5 but whatever right Mm. Um, it's not that kind of movie, blah, blah, blah. Um, what, what is, what is Scott, the worst case scenario for this? Do you think opening weekend, I'm going to throw out a movie that was of course a hit a few years ago, but on a different scale, which is, uh, a, an Indiana Jones esque movie, uncharted Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg, February, 2022 open to 44 million. Does that feel that like sounds the- about, I think, Yes and no. Okay. In that my comparison was, frankly, Solo, a Star Wars story. Wow. Mm. With a little more overseas interest, because that film just nobody overseas gave it to him. Mm-hmm. That was the mm-hmm. issue. 
But so yeah, Uncharted did about four ten, I think, worldwide, give or mm-hmm. take. Solo did three ninety four. One of those films cost one twenty, the other one cost two seventy five. Right. And as you know, indie cost around three hundred million. To be fair, COVID upcharges, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I think there is a world where this film ends up below five hundred million worldwide wow. because it's not good. And no and because of that, only the diehards care. Right, right. And and you know, solo looking just domestically, solo was definitely considered a big disappointment. But that opened to eighty-four million dollars in May yeah, of twenty eighteen. It did hundred and five in its four day opening weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. And it did two sixteen domestic and had it played like a normal blockbuster where you know 35 65 right. it would have done around 600 million dollars and it wouldn't have been a smash but they would have you know would have been an you know okay we we dodged a bullet right and and mm-hmm. and but overseas audiences didn't care because they didn't care they didn't well and star wars is we've seen more and more is may, way less popular worldwide than we yes. give we think it is based on how much it's it's a sensation. Yeah, it's still here. a 50-50 franchise even before COVID. So um, so this Indiana Jones movie, I mean, I think based on this buzz again, it doing solo numbers domestically starts to feel like a reach. Yeah. I agree with you. Wow. Wow. So not um, which not a, maybe they shouldn't have made the movie. Not a great mm. sign for Disney and staying on that track. Scott, let's talk the next Pixar film, Elemental. There is word on the street that the tracking for this movie is as low as twenty-eight to thirty-eight or forty million dollars. First of all, do you does that seem credible to you? And and if so. A twenty-eight to forty million dollar opening weekend to me that feels like that is an off the charts disaster for Pixar. Uh, yes. Now, again, I like this website. I conversed with with the people that run this website, so this is not considered a criticism. But the first tracking that comes out of like Box Office Pro is not always in line with what the regular tracking turns out to be. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because a few weeks ago, we were all like, oh my God, Rise of the Beast is going to do terrible because it's tracking at like $40 million. Now the official tracking three weeks out is closer to $70 million. Now, does that mean that the first one is right or the second one is wrong and vice versa? I don't know. But I'm not panicking yet any more than I already was because frankly, the film looks good. Mm-hmm. And because it is a Pixar film, it probably will be good. Mm-hmm. But it also looks like a generic Pixar picture. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It looks like a very generic Mad Libs, Pixar buddy comedy, you know, awkward romance, whatever. Right. And while I'm sure they will have more than that, because the Pixar movies usually do, at this point, merely being a pretty good Pixar movie isn't enough. Mm-hmm. As we have learned with Onward, which bombed before covid it was yes. tracking to open yes. poorly and it did open poorly yes. and then Thank covid you. just you know there's no you know there's no place for it to go regardless now um, you were on the, here which yeah you were on the town uh the, yeah. the great podcast hosted by matt bellany uh past guest here uh, on the bo boys and you had a great line about elemental that it looked like a pixar film that was written by a chat GPT. 
Yeah. And, and, I, and I realize Bellany, it's going to be cliche for the next few years. Everything, you know, this movie looks like it was written by AI. <laughs> but I but think it was a great was. line. And Bellany pushed back because he defends Pixar. He's a Pixar defender. Well, and, he's probably right in terms of quality. Yeah. But quality we see now doesn't really matter with Pixar because it is a home video studio now. It is a streaming studio. That is and the what fear. These, what these numbers are showing is that yeah. people can wait. They know where it's going to head. They don't have to work. They don't have to be like, oh, I don't know where this is going to drop because they know Disney movies go to Disney Plus. It is here's, a here's one plus one. You are correct. And I think Bob Chapek's choice to drop Soul and especially Luca and especially Turning Red onto mm-hmm. Disney Plus instead of theaters did major long-term damage to the brand. Yes. Yeah. That being said, animation, original, non-franchise, non-sequel animation had been struggling since 2018 and onward. Mm-hmm. The last genuine non-sequel blockbuster was Coco in late 2017. Um, since then, most of Pixar and Disney and Illuminations output were sequels mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or known entities like the Grinch. Mm-hmm. Um, and the originals that did come out in that period were struggling, like Onward, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think part of Disney's problems now with animation, which to their credit, after a lot of sequels, 2020 and 2021 were supposed to be all about original stuff. They ran into this newfangled problem that they had mostly avoided the first couple of years of COVID because all these big films were going to Disney Plus. Right, right. So that being said, I do think Soul would have still been a big hit. Yep. Just because it's terrific and that's the kind of film that Pixar does very well. I think Encanto would have been a big hit in normal circumstances. Yes, yes. I'm not as sure about uh, Ray and the Last Dragon or Strange World. You know, no, it's mm, great that Strange World had a gay main character. That's really the only interesting thing about it. No, Strange, Strange World bombs yeah. no matter what because it is a, yeah. a boy sci-fi, and that is never a genre that does well in animation. Yeah, well, it's old-timey. Atlantis. Yes. Yeah, it's old-timey sci-fi. Just yeah. to really quickly yeah. see if this tracking holds, which, like you said, we're, we're not sure if this tracking is going to hold where it is. But if it does open in this range – it would be the only the only Pixar movie that would have opened lower than it would be the original Toy Story in 1995 at $29 million. Onward yep. opened at 39. The Good Dinosaur opened at 39. Ratatouille opened at 47. So if this movie opens, it's going to be possibly the lowest opening of any Pixar movie ever. Yeah. And they Disney as a studio, again, regardless of whose choice it was, has only themselves to blame Mm -hmm. because they took the good stuff, turning red, Luca and soul and basically kneecapped them as fodder in the streaming war. And then they put out the nobody asked for this IP expansion in Lightyear as a global theatrical release. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the cruel, horrible irony of this, it's the exact same thing that happened with Solo which is another unasked for origin story prequel starring a marquee character played by a different actor, which had nothing to offer for those not already interested in the premise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When Solo bombed, what got dinged? The answer is the Star Wars brand, which other than Solo had been female and minority fronted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lightyear bombing is going to do major damage to Pixar 
and hurt the chances of the next soul turning red, Luca, whatever, being treated like a major theatrical uh, thing. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. I mean, I do, so. I fully do think soul, you know, if you, you, them putting that on Disney Plus, it's fine because that was 2020. And you want to get something on there, they're launching the service. But I think every one of their decisions post soul was a major mistake. Luca, Turning Red, uh, those movies absolutely should have been full theatrical-only releases. I mean, Turning Red came out in 2022. Especially. 2022. Yeah. It's, it, they have turned Pixar, like you said, Clayton, into a direct-to-video brand. And in terms of just parents' minds, that is how they see Disney animation in a way that Parents do not think of universal cartoons, you know, universal properties and Peacock in that way. Parents don't know what Peacock is. They don't have Peacock. They're not thinking, oh, I'll wait for the minions to go to Peacock. No one thinks that. No one thinks that. But parents have fully been trained to think a Disney movie will be on Disney Plus soon. And I don't think they're going to be able to unlearn that behavior for a long time. Yeah, because yeah. it happened and, multiple times. It happened yeah. multiple times in a row, not just once, you know, not just twice, but like three times and, and three times. It's not a charm in this situation. There's no excuse because as soon as they saw what happened with Ray and the Last Dragon, which was early 2021, mm-hmm. where the film bombed in theaters, it bombed on DVD, it bombed on VOD. It bombed as a premier access Disney Plus title, as far as we know. But once it was free on Disney Plus, then everybody watched the shit out of it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh shit, we are conditioning our consumers to treat these $200 million pictures as something that you should pay nothing to watch. Right, right, right. We need to stop that immediately. Right, right. But they didn't. Right. And, and not to relitigate, but they did the same thing with Enchanted 2, Hocus Pocus 2. Mm-hmm. These are all movies that even if they were not as good as the original they should have been theatrical only, if nothing else, to teach these parents that these movies will be on theaters only for a while. You cannot wait. And instead, they have just beat that lesson into the parents. Disney Disney products are not meant for theaters. So, yeah. it, it you know, they have Guardians of the Galaxy, they have Marvel, but it's oddly a rough possible rough time for Disney this next month because if Indiana Jones and uh, Elementals both underperform or bomb, this is, it's a, you know, I, I think we're all on a, we'll touch on it real quickly. Little Mermaid comes out next weekend. We're, we'll do our full weekend preview next weekend. I, I, I don't, I, I don't think there's any chance that this bombs. This is going to do, no. you know, sub beauty and the beast, I guess, but in that ballpark, it's going to be gigantic. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 and again, there's this huge discourse online, like, you know, people saying it's going to do a billion and saying, you know, people saying it's not going to do a billion. It's somehow the same thing as saying it's going to flop, right? Which is ridiculous. It's not the, it's, I don't think it's going to do a billion, right? Because I don't think it has the, you know, the bright and colorful romantic spectacle that Aladdin had. And it sure as shit doesn't have Will Smith as the genie as itch. Right. Well, the comparison would be, Will Smith and Melissa McCarthy in this movie. Who is barely in the movie and she's fine. Right. But she's basically playing Ursula. She's basically, you know, 
I'm not gonna say that it's a it's a perfectly fine performance, but it's not it's nothing remarkable. Well, I I don't feel yeah. the you know uh, I don't feel the presence in the promotion of Melissa McCarthy the way you did with Will Smith and Aladdin. Will Smith was fully marketed as the star of that movie ahead of time. They're not doing that with Melissa McCarthy here, and just yeah, and you know I mean it's it's. She's never been as I mean, obviously, Will Smith was the biggest star in the world for about 10 years. Right, right. But so yeah, it's 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 again, that is that that is a special ingredient that, you know, all due respect to Mena Musad, who was wrongfully chased off of Twitter for suggesting this, he was right. Just because Little Mermaid will probably open with numbers on par with Aladdin does not mean it's gonna end up with numbers on par with Aladdin. Right. That's a different conversation. Right. I think it will do very, 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 very well. But you know, don't be the asshole that says it's a flop because it only has seven hundred and fifty worldwide. Exactly, it's it's mm-hmm. a different and mm-hmm. it's a different worldwide uh, uh, box office world than it was even four years ago when Aladdin came out. Yes, a billion dollars is no longer the barometer of hit or and not. It, frankly, it never should have been. Right, right. Because even yeah. Aladdin was surprisingly leggy and successful. Right, there were people. I mean, he was right. There were people that saw that every week as sort of like. You know, because I, you know, every Tuesday the numbers would like barely budge. So you had families and groups knowing, waiting for Cheap Ticket Tuesday to see it again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a shockingly loved movie. Hey, listen, here, here's something Clayton and I and several friends saw Aladdin. And I, at that point, had not fully ever watched the original animated Aladdin. Rest in peace, but I was never a giant Robin Williams fan. And even as a kid, I was like, I don't want to deal with his improv bullshit. And that was never a movie for me. Rest in peace, though. Rest in rest peace. peace. Rest in peace. But not not for me as a as a you know 10-year-old. But we saw the Will Smith Aladdin. I loved that movie. I thought that I fully understood why that movie was so leggy at the time. Great movie. Will Smith, one of his, maybe his final great star performance on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, King Richard, I think he deserved to win the Oscar. Oh, yeah. We did but, half an hour prior to that. But, uh, you know, looking ahead, we quickly touched on Transformers. Not much to say here. Now that the tracking is up to 68 to 70 million, that does feel about right. Um, you've been talking about how people underestimated how much the Michael Bayness was a big ingredient for why those Transformers movies were as special as they were for 10 years at the box office. Yes. Um, what, what are your and thoughts I, going into, you know, we're what, a, a month out of the opening of uh, Mark of the Beast? Not Mark of the Beast. Three weeks. Rise of the Beast. Rise of the Beast? Mark of the Beast. Rise You're the still beast. on that sat- the satanic <laughs> tip there, Pat. Um, so, yeah. So Again, that's the Pope's Exorcist too. Mark of the Beast. Um, yeah. So if it opens around 70 million. For the record, it's not. Um, you know, d- does this... I definitely feel a lack of buzz on this movie. And I think you're right. I think people underestimate how much uh, audiences like the Michael Bayness of those movies. And even if they didn't, you know, weren't head over heels for it, they were unique and interesting and unlike anything else in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. They promised bigger than bigger spectacle than anything else in the marketplace. This was back when Marvel was still, Oh good. Mm -hmm. You know, Iron Man cost 140 and there's a couple action scenes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it really wasn't until mm, Guardians, maybe, where you saw a Marvel movie that was also like the biggest movie of the summer mm-hmm. in terms of scale and scope and spectacle. 
mm-hmm. except for maybe Transformers: Rise of Extinction, right, or Age of Extinction, right. Um, but and that film made a billion dollars that year. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this out. This here, I'm sorry, out here real quick. Beast Wars is a cartoon that has mm-hmm. a strong following amongst people younger than ourselves. Yes, I think that's an element that we are undervaluing because. That was not our Transformers. Our Transformers were not animals. They were trucks. They were cars. They were jets. They were a cassette tape player, right? This movie could do better than we expect because of Beast Wars. You are absolutely right. And if we, if I end up being wrong, that will be why. Mm. Because the appeal of Beast Wars, the movie, will be appealing to even people that don't care about Transformers in the abstract anymore. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm not as high on that notion as I was maybe six months ago is because from what I gather, the trailers, they're just another generic Transformers movie, but the animals are in it this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, um, it, we always look for what is the added value element on these big movies. Obviously, they brought Mark Wahlberg in midway through the original franchise. And you look at this trailer and it doesn't feel like there is that added value element. But that would be the one, if there is one, is that the value of the Beast Wars cartoon is a bigger deal than we think it is. And maybe that's the added value all along. So we'll find out. That is the hope. Absolutely. So I've got one more thing to throw out there for you. Uh, We are about two months away from D-Day, from July 21st, Oppenheimer versus Barbie. And now- Obviously, They're we want to have be fine. Well, I was gonna say we we are definitely gonna want to have you on before that actual opening weekend, but two months out, what what are you feeling out there in the Oppenheimer versus Barbie uh competition? You know, what, what have you spoken to any of the soldiers on either side? Uh <laughs> got any battle plans? There have been casualties on both uh, sides already. Yep. So 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 I'm, I'm reading mournful letters narrated by Ken Burns. Mm-hmm. You know, that, um, <laughs> that if there was a box office Saturday Night Live, that is that is one of the, the great sketches is having the letters read by the soldiers of the Oppenheimer Bar. <laughs> Look, mm-hmm. jokes aside, I think the best thing that can happen is that Greta Gerwig and Chris Nolan, respectively, videotape each other going to each other's movie on opening night. Yes. Because, I mean, I imagine they're both excited for each other's movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Chris Nolan isn't nearly as much of a stick up the ass as he's sometimes portrayed as. I'm sure he'd have, you know, he's looking forward to the wacky bonkers Barbie movie that Greta Gerwig has up her butt. And likewise, you know, Greta Gerwig thinks, oh, it's a Chris Nolan movie about the atomic bomb. That looks interesting. Could, mm-hmm. um, Could we get Chris Nolan said, dressing I, as Surfer Ken going to a screening? Oh, uh, that might be a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah. I think his skin burns when he's not wearing a suit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, I think both films are going to do fine. I don't think either of them are going to be super mega, mega, super duper smash hits. And if they both cost around a hundred million, and that, if, that, if that's true, then neither of them have to be super duper mega smash hits. Mm-hmm. Um, I am concerned that Barbie will be a situation where the online buzz does not translate into general audience interest. Yep. Um, it's not like movies like Gem and Spice World and uh, uh, Josie and the Pussycats actually broke out. Granted, those were smaller movies without nearly as much. This one has, is being treated like an event film from a major studio. Right. Uh, the one optimistic comparison I would throw out is Scooby-Doo. 
which opened with like $55 million in mm. June of 2002 and led out to about 150 domestic. I don't know what it did worldwide offhand, but it was very successful. Mm-hmm. And that was another one where it was sort of like being sold as – you know, enough of an edge so adults might want to, older kids and adults might want to see it, but don't worry, you can still take your kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is a great comp. I really like that comp, but I what wish I, I will thought say, of that on the, on the town. Yeah. Because <laughs> it did not come to me at that one. But it is a great comp, and I'm glad we got that scoop over Matt. He was a great man, <laughs> but I'm glad we got that scoop over him. Mm-hmm. But, wh- but what I think about that, the Barbie movie, is that. You know, the essence of Scooby-Doo was really well represented in the Scooby-Doo movie, even though it had a little bit of an edge. This is just seems like a muddled premise. It is just it's a bunch of Barbies. It's a ton of different Barbies. It's like they're in the real world. There's so much going on in this that it's not straightforward enough for me to believe it's going to be a giant hit. Uh, I agree. I mean, and again, when I say it might not be a giant hit, I think it will still be a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, if the film, you know, I, I, 350 worldwide would be fine. Yes. Oh, that'd be phenomenal for that. It'd be yeah. phenomenal yeah. for that. And I, I think the people that are expecting it to be one of the biggest movies of the summer, they're setting themselves for dis- up for disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, to the extent that, that matters, don't know. Cause at the end of the day, a lot of the discourse is in a bubble as it always is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think it is Warner Brothers' most important movie of the year, just because they need to show that they can do something other than superhero hits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, if the Meg does as well as I think the Meg's going to do, then that may be a different conversation. But I digress. Very exciting. We 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 so many people we talk to are very excited about the Meg too, and it looks freaking great. That I I love to, I love to see that could be you know a. Scott Mendelson special, a breakout sequel. That would, yeah. That would be very And even exciting. if it's not, I mean, my theory, you know, theory, I mean, it stars Wu Jing, who is one of the biggest movie stars in China. Mm-hmm. I mean, his film, you know, uh, he did uh, The Wandering Earth 1, Wandering Earth 2, which made 700 million and then 600 million. He, delayed, he made The Battle of Langqing Jin and The Battle of Langqing Jin 2, which did 912 and then 620. And he did Wolf Warrior 2, which made 854 million just in China in 2017. Mm-hmm. And that's just the ones I can name on the top of my head. Now, he may not be, you know, a, you know Leonardo DiCaprio level asses and seats, but maybe he's like Chris Pratt in that he is a big added value element for films that audiences already want to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in, and that's what I would argue he's bringing to this. But so the question is, does it do 150 million in China, which is what the last one did back in 2018, that most of the other films in contention this year don't get? Mm-hmm. Or, ha ha ha, because it is a Chinese co-production, does it play like a Chinese movie in China? Mm-hmm. And do like anywhere from three hundred to seven hundred million just in China. Right, I love that now, theory that's so much. That's hyperbole, but it could happen. I, 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 I think it's a possibility. Like I really love that theory, and you, of course, said that on the town too. And I was very excited. That process. Audio is being weird. Is that me or you? That's Clayton. Yeah, I'm hearing it too. It is me. Okay. Okay. Am I better? Am I better now? No. Same. No, but we'll live. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I'm going to throw out one last thing to you, Scott. Give me over, under, or push. H- movies that open to $100 million this summer, three. And we'll count The Little Mermaid as a sort of it. Oh, okay. Um, Little Mermaid. 
Flash? I don't know. I mean, I didn't like it as much as everybody else did, and I honestly don't think the reviews are going to be that spectacular once the rest of the world sees it. I don't think they're going to be bad. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, but I also think as a movie, it's frankly not that good. And I don't think re- regular people are going to care that, you know, it's a subpar Flash movie, but oh, Michael Keaton's back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, say what you about Spider-Man No Way Home, but A, it was a pretty decent Spider-Man movie. Uh, and B, you had three Spider-Men interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. which is very different than this flash that you barely know and this batman from 30 years ago that was now one of what six people that have played batman so um, yeah i it would be like you know it would be like a kingsman sequel where you know timothy dalton shows up right right so so what basically is it seems like three would be the ceiling because it's flash dead reckoning little mermaid i mean i know we just talked about the expectation of barbie being so high no, God, it's not going to do 100 opening weekend. So, I mean, what um, else? there's really nothing else I could think of now that Transformers, the it's Pixar movie. It's a it looked on paper. Yeah, it does. It, and Indiana Jones, uh, two months ago, I think we're all looking at Indy could do it. Maybe a Pixar movie can do it. You know, <laughs> maybe a trans- trailer. I was like, yeah, this ain't going to happen. So, so yeah. it was such a bad trailer. Go, I mean, I think obviously – Two months yeah. ago, we're thinking Guardians, counting that as a summer movie, or Guardians could yeah. have opened at 100. Guardians, Little Mermaid. Um, I think Dead Reckoning does it. Just Yeah. I mean, that's a big jump from 62 from the last film. Right. But I think if the reviews are good, Spider-Verse, Whoa. which is tracking it around 80 right now, mm-hmm. and if the reviews are good, although, again, is anyone not interested in seeing it that are going to be – Oh well, you know this sequel to this film that I loved. I'm not going to see it, but now the reviews are good. I'm going to show up. I, I think there is a case where that could happen. In the yes, sense maybe the machine. The, mm-hmm. There, there is a case where that could happen in the sense that it's clear people want to go to the movies, and there's a giant yeah. audience. People are going, and if some of these movies are not as good, so less people go to Indiana Jones, or not as many people go to the Pixar movie. There is still that pent-up desire. We saw that with Maverick last summer. That movie arguably overperformed, not just because it was good, but because there was underperforming movies all around it. And so something like... like Woman. Right. So something like Spider-Verse could overperform because uh, we didn't go I to Indy. It will overperform overall. I just don't know about the opening weekend right. cracking 100. Right. But no, I, I, it's, I think it's like number two on my summer pool list. Great. Because I think it's going to substantially boost up from the first one, which did 190. I think this one flirts with 250, 260, which looking at what's on tap, I think is good enough to be one of the biggest movies of the summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's a definitely so much bigger of a summer than we got last year, 2022, obviously way more than 2020 one but there are some early bad buzzy movies right out of the gate in that you know indiana jones the pixar film so but but yeah and you know looking at you know are we gonna get you know the sheer size of what was earned by top gun maverick which is 715 million mm-hmm. jurassic world dominion which did 375 yep minions the rise of grew did 375 i mean I think it's possible that this summer, I don't want to say it's going to be below last year, because I think that's, you know, for one thing, we're actually going to have in August. Right. Um, But, I mean, those films so exceedingly overperformed, and if you have a few of these that just tank, Mm -hmm. then I think it might be closer than we were expecting. Yeah, yeah. Last summer was 
sparse but very top heavy and yes there isn't a minions kids movie nope. this summer. again is as good as guardians is gonna do there's no way it catches up to doctor strange too right that is true doctor strange was a summer 2022 movie um and just and the fact that marvel has dipped so much in this past year best case scenario for dead reckoning is is you know Probably less than what Thor Love and Thunder did. Right, right, right. Domestically, at least. Right. So there's Um, more quantity. It definitely feels healthier overall. But last summer did have some mega top heavy franchise installments. So, Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. So, Clayton, did you have any final question for our box office papa, Scott Mendelson, head of the family? Uh, just how do I sound? Now you sound, you sound, you sound now you sound fine. You sound nice. fine. You sound so great. just so what were you trying to say when I interrupted you? I apologize. Oh no, I don't even remember. But but what I was going to say about the whole summer, I agree. It could be closer than we'd like it to be to last summer. But there also is the possibility of something like you know a movie we talked about earlier. You know, uh, no hard feelings, something like that breaking out in a way that it might not have broken out in a past year. So, I mean, we do have some possible sleepers that could also bring this over, but yeah, the big movies are not going to be as big as the big movies from last summer for sure. Right. But yeah. la- last summer didn't have your Barbies, Oppenheimers, no hard feelings, those type of movies in or in between the big blockbusters. Like there, mm, I would say Elvis was one of those. Oh, Elvis. Yeah. Elvis did get over a hundred. Maybe yeah. the, the, uh, well, well, maybe the the the, the black or the the black phone. Oh, black, black phone, phone was seventy. Yeah, that's yeah, a that ninety fifty worldwide. Yeah, uh, dope did I think one seventy worldwide, mm-hmm. give or take. Mm-hmm. So, and even Bullet Train, which you know was sort of thought of as a mild disappointment, still did I think two fifty, give or take. Bullet Train two Whoa. apparently on it on its way with with yeah, Brad. Well, somebody that I've heard of actually reports it. We'll see. Mm-hmm. See that that's what we get. He's he's on the inside. You can't just take every every you you've gotta go to <laughs> well, trusted if, sources. If it's a site that's like comic book resources or yeah. tyrant.org or whatever, it's like, yeah, I'll wait a week and see if anyone else covers this. You, you mm-hmm. know where you go for this your one. news? You know where you yes. go? You go to the rap and you go to <laughs> Scott Mendelson, formerly of Forbes, but now of the rap. That is where you get your Indeed. film news. So Scott. Thank you so much for joining us on the BO Boys. My absolute pleasure. So, of course, everyone, write to us, send us your emails, the BO Boys Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at the BO Boys Pod. Subscribe, like, and subscribe on YouTube right there. Smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. We are YouTubers. Thank you for being on YouTube with us, Scott Mendelson. And uh, thank you for wannabe. Oh, intern Christopher, of course, handles our social media, all of the video clips and give us five stars on all the podcast platform uh, platforms, but especially Apple. That's the only one that matters. Clayton, I think that's it. I think we've done it. We've done it, Pat. And I don't think there's anything left to say. No, nothing. Well, except for until next time. We'll smell you at the box office. Nailed it. Nailed it.